Well, as we uh, continue our worship in the Word this morning, let's take a moment to once again seek the Lord in prayer. Um, Father, we come before you just thankful, Lord, that we can uh, partner with uh, uh, the Martins, Lord, and uh, just come together to serve your purposes, Father. So uh, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to, to bless them. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to uh, reach out and pray for uh, those students on college campuses, Lord, that you would uh, stir our church up to go on a prayer walk, Lord, or to share our faith if we have the opportunity. Uh, Lord, we pray, Father, for your word now. As we transition to it, we pray, Lord, that your word would be like a seed that's planted and that bears fruit unto righteousness. And so, Father, what we know not this morning, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, The 18th century preacher, uh, John Wesley, once wrote these words to a fellow believer. He said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin, And desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Godly men are needed now more than ever. Godly men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God are needed in our society now more than ever. Godly men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God are needed in our church now more than ever. Godly men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God are needed in our families now more than ever. And godly men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God are needed in our marriages now more than ever. When a godly husband fails to live up to God's design or God's ordained responsibility, society suffers, churches suffer, marriages suffer, and families suffer. This morning, I want to take some time to talk about the marks of a godly husband, and I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to the letter of 1 Peter chapter 3. As you make your way there in your Bibles, we're going to look at a single verse this morning, chapter 3, verse 7. It's a single verse, but it is a very practical verse and a very relevant one to us this morning. As you make your way there in your Bibles, as we take some time to talk about the role and responsibility of a husband, we're reminded of the current context this comes out of. Uh, Peter is writing and the current section is focused on the subject of submission. Uh, Peter has encouraged these believers to submit to governing authorities, to submit to authorities in the workplace, and to submit to authorities in the home. And having instructed wives on their unique role and responsibility in relationship to their husbands, Peter now transitions to speak directly to husbands in regards to their relationship to their wives as we consider what are the marks of a godly Husband. Now, we're going to be focusing on one verse this morning, but I'd like to read the first six verses to bring us up to the context of where we're at today. So would you stand in honor of the reading of the word? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. 
Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Word of the Lord, you all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning we have an opportunity to talk about the marks of a godly husband. The kind of husband who's called to love and to lead in the marital relationship. And so what are the marks of a godly husband? We're going to take a look at a few in regards to how he is called to treat his wife as one who dwells with her, one who understands her, and then as we finish up, one who honors her. Let's begin this morning and talk about the first mark of a godly husband, one who dwells with her. The text begins this way and says, husbands, likewise dwell with them. You know, as we take a look at that first mark where we consider the, the recipients of the command, they're referred to here, of course, as husbands. Now, in the context, we know that these are Christian husbands. These are husbands who have trusted in Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And so if you're a husband here this morning and you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, this text is speaking directly to you. If you're not a Christian husband this morning, your first step is not to obey the command. Your first step is to trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Before you change your lifestyle, the way you interact with your spouse, you first have to begin with a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But the people we're speaking of to here directly are husbands who are believers. Now, sometimes you take a look at a text like this and you ask the question, why are there six verses dedicated to the wives and then you've got one verse dedicated to the husbands? Well, Peter is writing with a unique purpose in mind. If you compare 1 Peter 3 in the verse 7 verses to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33, you see Paul is writing with a unique purpose there. He writes encouraging believers to model their marriage relationship and to mirror the relationship between Christ and the church. And there, nine verses are dedicated to the husbands. Three verses speak of the wives. Peter is writing to instruct a people who are experiencing great hostility and persecution because of their faith in Jesus. And those who are more likely to experience oppression by the authorities over them are the wives. In this culture, if a husband who is a pagan converts and trusts in Jesus as his Savior and Lord, it's easier for him to lead his wife and invite her to do the same. It was a whole other thing for the wife to be converted. And then the question comes up, what happens if my husband doesn't convert? Do I preach to him? Do I leave him? And Peter spends six verses giving instructions to wives on how to relate to both believing and unbelieving Husbands. And now Peter instructs the husbands in regards to how they should treat their wives. Now we've been in a section that we've been talking about the subject of submission. 
And Peter has given instructions to servants in relationship to their masters, citizens in relationship to the government, but nowhere has he up to this point given instructions to the authorities, but he spends an extra verse to speak to husbands about how we are to treat our wives. And so first, we're talking about husbands who are Christians. Secondly, we see the context of the command, husbands likewise dwell with them. The world likewise brings us back to the context of chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, where all Christians, including Christian husbands, were reminded that they are pilgrims and sojourners in this world. We are just temporary residents passing through. You see, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We have a heavenly citizenship, but while we are still here, we've got some earthly responsibilities. And one of those earthly responsibilities, according to verse 12, is to share our testimony of faith before an unbelieving world. In verse 13 of chapter 2 and following, Peter said the primary means by which we share our testimony of faith before an unbelieving world is by adopting an attitude of submission. And so as citizens, godly citizens, submit to governing authorities, that is their testimony of faith before an unbelieving world. How servants submit to their masters as godly servants is a testimony of faith before an unbelieving world. And likewise, just in the home as wives, godly wives, submit to their husbands. That is a testimony of faith before an unbelieving world, but also before unbelieving husbands. And now as we transition to verse 7, likewise, a husband's testimony of faith before an unbelieving world, world is how he treats his wife. Husbands, how you treat the wife that God has given you is a testimony of faith before unbelievers. And so I have to ask the question, how you treat your wife, are you giving a people a reason to believe in Jesus and to trust in Jesus? Or are you giving people a reason to say no to Jesus? You know, when I met my wife, she was an unbeliever and I had the blessed opportunity to share the gospel with her Later, watch her come to faith in Jesus as her Savior and as her Lord. Later, married her. But I also had the opportunity to share the gospel with her parents when I got to meet them. And while she came to faith, her parents, my in-laws, have not yet come to faith. And I'm reminded, because we have somewhat of a language barrier. They don't speak English. They speak some English, but not, not English very well. And while they have a Bible in their hands, I'm reminded of how relevant this is to me, that as I treat their daughter rightly... I am giving them a testimony of my faith in Jesus. And my prayer is that I'm giving them a reason to trust in Christ, not a reason to, to flee from him. And so how you treat your wife as a husband should ultimately reflect your testimony of faith before your unbelieving coworkers, before your unbelieving neighbors, before anybody who's unbelieving in your family, how you treat your wife should give them a good reason to believe in Jesus and to make him their savior and make him their Lord. So we see the context and then we move into the, the, the command itself. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Dwell with them. 
word dwell there literally means to make a home with them. It's not just the idea of living at the same address as them. It's being a housemate, a roommate, a bedmate. You are dwelling with them with intimacy. There is a depth that goes on here. Now, when it says dwell with them, it's the idea that a husband, in some regard, is to make a home with his wife. And in some respect, husbands are homemakers. Now, in Titus chapter 2, verse 5, wives are referred to as homemakers. But I want you to know this morning, husbands, in a biblical sense, are also homemakers, just in a different sense. The manner in which husbands are to make the home and to dwell with their wives is by dwelling with them as a leader, as a lover, and as a learner. The manner in which husbands are to live with their wives is as a leader, a lover, and a learner. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about what it means to dwell with her with understanding, to be a lifelong learner of your wife. But I want to take some time to focus on what it means to dwell with her, biblically speaking, as a leader and to dwell with her, biblically speaking, as a lover. First, let's talk about what it means to be a leader. To lead your wife as God called you to lead biblically means that you understand God's design for marriage. We're reminded that God created the institution. Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19, Christ affirms it. We're reminded if God designed it, he's also designed the roles and responsibilities of husbands and of wives. And so in regards to God's design for marriage, we should respect God's design. And in the first six verses, we learned what God's design looks like. It said back in verse one, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. We talked about what submission is. Submission means to place yourself voluntarily under the authority and the leadership of your husband. It's to follow the lead of your husband and allow him to make the final decisions in the home. Now, if the wife is going to be submissive to her husband, the expectation for the Christian husband is that you would therefore lead her. And so Christian husbands in this regard are to lead their wives to be the initiator of spiritual things in the home and to lead in other areas of the home that are necessary. And it also means being the final decision maker in the home. Now, being the final decision maker in the home, as we said last time, does not mean you do not take your wife and her advice into consideration. A good leader, a good decision maker, honors the helper that God has given him. Often they know things that you are not aware of, and so you better be listening to the wife that God has given you. But there are some husbands who are here this morning, and they're saying, you know, you don't understand our situation. I'm not, just, I'm not a very good decision maker. My wife, she's a very good decision maker, and so often she makes the final decisions in the home. Well, can I share this with you this morning? I'm not a very good decision maker. And husbands, it's a good thing for you to admit, apart from Christ and apart from the counsel of God, you're not a very good decision maker either. The kind of decision maker God wants you and I to be is one informed by the will of God by reading the word of God. And might I suggest this morning, as you are the final decision maker in your home, your wife will not just find it easy, she will find it necessary to come under your leadership and to submit herself under your authority when she knows that you are informed by the will of God and the word of God. 
And this is a wife who can stand back and say, thank you, God, for the husband that you have given me. To to lead your wife as you dwell with her is to understand God's design. It's also to follow Christ's example. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says this, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. What we're reminded of here is when you submit yourself or place yourself under the leadership or the authority of another, it doesn't mean that you are inferior to them. You take a look at the example of Christ, who is equal to the Father as the second person of the Trinity, and he places himself under the authority of the Father and follows the will of the Father, submitting himself to it. If the Son did not submit to the will of the Father, you and I would be still dead in our sins and dead in our transgressions. Christ serves as our example who is the lead, who Christ serves as our example who submits himself to the will of the father and as a husband sees Christ's example he is to align himself place himself under the authority of Christ as his wife aligns himself under her authority and so a husband is to lead his wife by following Christ's Example. Can I suggest this this morning? A wife will not just find it easy, but will find it necessary to place herself under a husband's authority and a husband's leadership when she sees that he is living under the authority of Christ. Might I suggest this? It should be visible to the wife that the same submission her husband is asking of her, he is giving to God. That's why a wife living with a man under God's authority will find it easy and desirable to submit to his loving leadership. And so uh, to lead her is to understand God's design. To lead your wife is to follow Christ's example. And to lead your wife is also to, to make her a top priority as you do. Your number one human relationship, if you are married, should be your wife. Your top relationship is always your relationship with Christ. But if you are married as a husband, your top priority in regards to your human relationship should be your wife. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's a familiar text. You leave and you cleave. You leave your family, your father and your mother, and you cleave to your new family. This is a new family. And your most important relationship is no longer your parents. Your most important relationship is now your wife. And she becomes your priority. And when you make her your priority and treat her like your priority, as you lead her and as you love her, she'll not just find it easy to place herself under your authority and under your leadership. She will find it necessary as she submits to that loving leadership. You know, this morning, last time we were together, we talked about the, 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 the top need of a husband is often respect. Uh, the husband, he desires to be respected by his wife, and it's not a surprise because it's a part of God's design. We talked about the top need of a wife is to feel secure. Uh, a wife feels most secure when she's secure in his love and secure under his leadership. 
A wife who's secure under the leadership of her husband doesn't have to worry how he's leading. Doesn't have to worry when he's the final decision maker in the home because she's trusting that he has aligned himself under the authority of God. And he may not be a good decision maker, but he knows the one who is. It always reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 5, that says, If anyone lacks wisdom... Any husbands in the room that lack wisdom, the first step is to admit your need. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Take some time to dwell with your wife as the leader. Secondly, dwell with your wife as a lover, as a lover. In Ephesians 5.22 to 33, we see that beautiful picture of the relationship between a husband and wife that should mirror the relationship with Christ and his church. Wives are called to submit to their husbands, but husbands are called to love their wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her husbands how are you called to dwell with your wives as a lover by means of sacrificial love you take a look at the love that christ showed he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many with christ as our example as we lead our wives we serve our wives and we do so sacrificially There's going to be times when it's difficult, when it's hard, but you love your wife sacrificially following the example of Christ, even being willing to give your life for her. Not just in a moment, if you you were to protect her physically, but daily and moment by moment, investing in that relationship, investing in your wife sacrificially, sacrificing your time, sacrificing your efforts as you Love her as she's been called to be loved. So love her sacrificially. Secondly, to love as Christ's love is to love her unconditionally. That means you dwell with her as a lover when she is easy to live with and when she's difficult to live with. Your love for her is unconditional. Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Us. Our love for our wives is not dependent on how she treats us. It is dependent on our relationship with Christ. That's how we treat her. To, to, to be a lover is to love her sacrificially, is to love her unconditionally, and is to love her exclusively. Husbands, can I remind you, the moment you said yes to your wife is the moment you said no to every other woman. The only legitimate form of romance in your life is your wife. You should not be looking anywhere else. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 19, it speaks of our love that we are to give our wives exclusively. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Speaking of sexual fulfillment that God has designed to be experienced between a husband and a wife. And running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. 
Your wife can satisfy you more than any of the cheap counterfeits out there. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enruptured with her love. You are to love her exclusively. And so the kind of dwelling that we are to take up with our wives, the kind of home that we are to make with her is as a leader, as a lover. And in a moment, we're going to talk about what it means to be a learner, a lifelong learner of our wife. So what is the mark of a godly husband? It's to dwell with her, to make a home with her, the kind of home where you're functioning according to God's design as a leader and as a lover. If I could give you just a couple takeaways, the first one is this, consider what's at stake when you don't. I'd like to suggest this morning that an absentee husband often leads to an absentee father, and when you take a look at the problems in society, often they're correlated with absentee fathers in the home, and everyone suffers because of it. Let me read to you these statistics. Roughly 70% of all prisoners come from fatherless homes. Approximately 80% of all rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 63% of all teen suicides occurs in homes where the father was either abusive or absent. Virtually every adult social pathology has been linked to either fatherless homes or with a father and or a husband who is absent, abusive, or neglectful. In suburbia, this article says, many fathers have gone missing either through divorce, neglect, or overindulgence. Many fathers put their careers over their families and they love the golf course more than they love the kids. An absentee husband often leads to an absentee father. If there was a time when we needed to function within God's design for a marriage and family, that time is now. And what better place to start than the church? The church should be the place, as we began speaking about, as godly husbands desire nothing but God, fear nothing but sin. And so count the cost. Consider the alternative. Uh, Secondly, in light of our text, dwell with your wife when you find it easy and dwell with her when you find it difficult. Tony Evans in his book, Kingdom Man writes this about his testimony regarding his father and his mother. He says this, When I was 10, all I ever had known up till that point was chaos in my home. I was the oldest of four children and the atmosphere was volatile for all of us. My father and mother were in constant conflict, making divorce seem like the only possible outcome. But what my dad modeled for me that year that I turned 10 forever changed my life. That was the year my dad turned to Jesus, but my dad didn't just accept God's salvation. He immediately became fired up about God in the Bible, immediately became an evangelist consumed with God's word. He says this, my mom didn't like my dad as a sinner, and she liked him even less as a saint. After my dad became a Christian, my mom did everything she could to make his life difficult. My dad couldn't even read the Bible until after my mom went to sleep because she would make his life so miserable when he did. My dad was committed to aligning himself under God, so my father did everything he could to show love to my mom in spite of how she treated him. Rather than divorce her, he loved her unconditionally. 
Day after day, month after month, my mom tried anything and everything to knock my dad's focus off of God and to make him stop loving her, but nothing worked. My dad was calm, consistent, and caring. Around midnight one night, my mom came down the stairs with tears in her eyes. My dad was reading the Bible. When he saw her tears, he asked her what was wrong. She told him that she could not understand how the more she rejected him, was unkind to him and tried to prove that believing in God was wrong the more kind he was to her and the more invested in the word. She said this, I want what you have because it must be real. They both instantly got on their knees and my dad led my mom to Christ. After that, he led all of us kids to Christ and daily modeled for us the value of making God and his word the central focus in all that we Did husbands dwell with your wives in good times, but also in difficult times? As you lead her and love her, do so unconditionally, sacrificially, and exclusively. And then thirdly, confess when you fall short. Husbands, we're not perfect leaders, lovers, or learners of our wives. We have a ways to grow. And most Christian wives, if you'll just take time to admit ways you've fallen short and take time to pray with her and say, will you forgive me, pray for me, and walk alongside me, help me be the man of God God has called me to be. Often she will forgive you, but also be a great helper for you in that relationship. Admit when you've messed up. Take time to say, honey, I've not been doing what I've been called to do as a husband and as a father, but that is about to change. Pray for me. I'm gonna ask wisdom because God gives liberally, generously, without reproach. If we ask him, we have what we need from him. And so admit ways that you've missed the mark. And then fourthly, make your wife secure in your leadership and your love by your moment-by-moment dependence on God through the word and prayer. Listen, you're imperfect, I'm imperfect as husbands. We are imperfect, but the kind of husband God has designed you to be is one who is dependent on him moment by moment, hour by hour, and day by day. That's how we can be the husband that loves as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. And so, what's the mark of a godly husband? One who dwells with his wife, makes a home with her as he leads her, as he loves her, and as he's a lifelong learner of her, which transitions us to our second point. The mark of a godly husband is a husband who understands his wife, who knows his wife. It says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. With understanding means according to knowledge. It's having uh, an in-depth knowledge of who your wife is. In the Old Testament, it speaks of a husband knowing his wife in regards to sexual intimacy. But it's not just sexual intimacy. It goes beyond that to knowing her emotionally, knowing her spiritually, knowing her needs, getting to know not just her likes and her dislikes, but being a lifelong learner of your wife. You know, when I first got married... I received a book from a friend. 
The book was it's somewhere in my study. I couldn't find it this week. I, I bring it to us this morning. It's a book entitled A Man's Guide to Understanding Women. And when I opened the book, I kind of laughed because it was blank inside. <laughs> nothing in there. And the thought there is the author perhaps is saying, hey, it's impossible to understand women. But the text is not instructing us to understand women. The text is instructing us to understand and know our wives. There's only one woman you need to study. You need to have a PhD in her life. And this is actually a good book that every husband should have because they're blank pages that you and I as husbands get to fill in. We get to know our wives. We get to understand who they are and how God designed them to be. And so we are to know our wives. We are to understand our wives. How do you get to know your wife and understand your wife as God has instructed us to do that? Be a lifelong learner of your wife. There are two ways. The first one is to read what God's word has to say about her. You and I have various ideas of what marriage is, what it means to be a husband or to be a wife, often based on our experience growing up or based on books that we have read. But ultimately, if you want to know your wife, get to know the one who designed her. The one who designed her has given us the truths of his word about her. 2 Timothy 3.16 is so true. All scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When it says thoroughly equipped, it means thoroughly equipped to know and understand your wife as she is to be known and as she is to be understood. What does that mean? Get to understand Genesis 2.24 and God's design for marriage. Read about it in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. Take a look at texts like Titus chapter 2 and Proverbs 31 and get to know the wife that God has designed and the wife that you have married. So get to know God's word. Study it. Get to know what God's word has to say about her. And then what will end up happening is you know how to pray for her. You know how to pray God's will and God's design over her. But not just get to know her by learning what God's word has to say about her. This is a good one. Spend time with her. Take time to spend time with your wife. And I just gave, give us some practical ways to do that. The first one is talk with her. I know this is simple. But there are times when you get through a busy day, regardless of the season you're in, you're at work, you're out of work, you're retired, whatever season of life you may be at, you're out working in the yard, you're doing this, you're doing that, you've got people that you're talking with, and by the time you get to the end of the day, you just both hit your bed to that pillow and you fall to sleep and you didn't even talk to each other all day. You have couples who are married and they have children and their children leave the home and they're living with a stranger because they haven't talked to them for, for, for years. And the reminder is just take some time to talk to her. I don't know about you, but the wife I married is not the same wife she is today. And I thank God for that because hopefully if your wife is a believer, she's looking a little bit more like Jesus today than she was yesterday. And so hopefully God is in the process of sanctifying her. He's in the process of conforming her into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so the wife you married shouldn't be the same wife that you married 
today. She changes. I've got to know my wife through different seasons. And, you know, we're, we're, we're beginning the journey, as some people say. We're only seven years in. But I got to know my wife while she was still single. This was before we married. I married her. I got to know her after I married her. I got to know her when we had our first children. And I'm looking forward to getting to know her and to understand her deeper in our next seasons of life when our children grow older. When they enter into those teenage years, when they enter into that next season, when our children have children of their own, and perhaps, God willing, you have children who have children who have children, and we see our great-grandchildren, it's going to be neat to see and understand who my wife is through these different seasons of life. But you can't get to know her if you don't talk to her. Often they say, just spend 15 minutes with your wife. You break out that time and say, this time is for us. Don't be the one who lets her prioritize the time. You're the leader in the home. Prioritize her heart, shepherd her heart, and take time to say, I'm exhausted today, but I'm going to take time to shepherd my wife's heart today. Talk with her. Secondly, date and pursue her. Dating and pursuing doesn't end when you get married. It just begins. Take time to pursue her She is the only legitimate form of romance in your life. That is the primary means by which you express that. God has designed you that way to pursue her, to love her, to go after her. Thirdly, learn to appreciate her. Take time to thank God if you haven't in a while that she's not just like you. Thank God he didn't make someone just like you because then one of you would not be needed. We're like puzzle pieces that fit together. Take time to appreciate your wife and the differences that she has. As I said earlier, confess sins committed against her. James 5.16 says this, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and we're going to even talk about that more in a moment. But can I take some time to talk with our husbands for a moment? Because there are husbands who sometimes sin against their wives. Sometimes it's in a habitual manner. But you refuse to confess your sins, not just to the Lord, but to your wife, because you don't want to hurt her any further. I'd like to suggest this morning that we need to be honest with our wives, and honesty is the key to intimacy. And if you are going to be truly one with your wife, there shouldn't be anything hidden. Take time to confess unconfessed sins before your wife, and you say, man, it hurts me to see how much it hurts you. Well, good, because then you can see the destructive nature of sin. Repent and experience restoration before God and restoration within that marriage. You need to hit rock bottom so you can grab the rock and experience salvation, which is, means in Christ you are forgiven but also restored in your relationship with others. Can I encourage some husbands here this morning? If there is unconfessed sin in your life, first with God, confess that to him. Repent from it. Receive salvation in Christ, but also take time to confess your sins to your wife. Experience the pain that it brings, but ask God to bring about reconciliation and restoration as he does just that. And so confess your sins to one another. And then lastly, pray with her and spend time in God's word. 
together. When's the last time you prayed with your wife? This is for you to answer for yourself. I want you to think about this. When's the last time you said, honey, we're just gonna pray? Minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, and have to be an hour. If you haven't prayed with your wife in the last week, in the last month, in the last six months, make it a priority tonight to pray with her. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. It can be as quick as a minute, a couple minutes. Can I tell you, a couple that prays together stays together. Something powerful about connecting with God, with your wife, because as you draw closer to him, you draw closer to one another. That's a beautiful picture. And so what, what are the marks of a godly husband? The marks of a godly husband, one who dwells with his wife, one who understands and knows his wife, and lastly, one who honors his wife, honors his wife. People look at texts like this, and uh, people hear it, and they say, oh, the culture hears something like this and says, ah, oh. They, they, they don't understand it, but, but when you hear about how the husband is called to lovingly lead his wife, you can understand the great design that God has. It shouldn't be a burden on his wife. It should be a blessing as he honors her. The text says here, verse seven, giving honor to the wife. The word giving honor is the, in the sense of, of, of attributing worth and value to your wife. Husbands, can we admit sometimes we lose sight of how valuable our wives truly are, how blessed we are to have them. Can I share some texts that remind us of how valuable your wife is? Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Listen, this life is meaningless, but you know who gives life, meaning to life is, is God and, and our wives, which he has given to you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for that is your position in life, and in the labor which you perform under the sun. You've got a wife who brings meaning to life. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, we're not going to pretend every single person is called to be married, but if you are called to be married, and that means you are married, that's you've been called to be married, then that's a blessing. Know that God has given you a wife, and that's a blessing. It's a good thing you found. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. It's not fitting and appropriate within my plan and purpose for creation that he should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. See the value of your helper. She provides what is lacking in you. There are some deficiencies that you have. Maybe for some of you, many deficiencies. She is your helper. Treat her that way. Proverbs 31, 11 to 12 says, The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of, his, or of her life. Take time to be reminded of the value your wife has. A tribute to her value and honor because she is deserving of it. So how do we honor her? The text says here, giving honor to the wife, how? As to the, the weaker vessel. When it's speaking of a weaker vessel, it's not speaking of, the, of this idea that your wife is inferior to you. No, what this is, and it's also not speaking that your wife is 
is weaker emotionally or weaker spiritually in a moment, he's going to say she's an heir of the life of grace too. She's going to be a recipient of eternal life with God and his people forever and ever. Uh, she is also um, not a uh, weaker in regards to emotional weakness. I mean, take a look at a, at a wife who, who gets pregnant and gives birth. I mean, that is tough stuff to put up with. Uh, these are strong women. Weaker vessel in just the sense, generally speaking, husbands are, men are stronger than women in general. That's just the, the, the fact of the matter. But the idea of honoring her as the weaker vessel is a reminder to treat her as an irreplaceable vase. Treat her as that which is fragile. You don't deal with a vase harshly. You deal with it gently. You, you, you speak with her with the right tone. You care for her and love her and walk alongside of her. Uh, the, a good picture of this is to see yourself as a man, masculinity as a brick. You don't just put a brick and a vase in the same bag and just shake it around. No, you deal with her gently and gracefully. So we're reminded that we are to honor her in this capacity. What does that look like? Uh, first, provide for her needs and protect her vulnerabilities. Provide for her needs and protect her vulnerability. You should know what her needs are because you know her and understand her as God has called you to. Uh, secondly, refuse to take advantage of her. You know, some people will, uh, if you take a look at weaknesses in sports or in warfare, you try to look for the weaknesses that the other person has so you can exploit them. No, the Bible says here, when it comes to human weakness, you aren't to exploit them, you are to honor the difference is God has designed her specially and uniquely. This is a helpful reminder to our husbands in the room that as a stronger vessel, married to a weaker vessel, you should never lay a hand on your wife for any reason. Uh, describing her in this capacity points out the fact that how, how terrible it is if a stronger vessel should ever treat the weaker vessel in that capacity. You should honor her. You should treat her rightly. Treat her gently, tenderly, and carefully, not harshly. And that includes in attitude, in action, and affection. Treat her gently in your affection towards her. Treat her gently in, in how you act towards her. Understand that she is a vase, an irreplaceable one at that. And you should know your wife and how she needs to be treated. So actions, affections, and your attitudes as well. How many know you can say, husbands in the room, you can say something to your wife and she says, stop yelling at me. And you say, I'm not yelling. But your tone communicates something altogether different. Reminded to treat her gently and tenderly as God has called her to be treated. And so, give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Give honor as being heirs together in the grace of life. Now, we're reminded that husbands and wives are equal, spiritually speaking. We go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Husband, you are to treat your wife as a daughter of the king. 
you are to be reminded that she is one who is going to inherit eternal life. How you treat your wife, who is a daughter of the king and who has received salvation, should leave you in a place of awe and wonder. You know, I was just thinking about my relationship with my wife. Uh, I knew her before she was saved. I got to know her before she trusted in Christ as her Savior and Lord. So I've got to watch her entire journey. And as she continues to be conformed into the likeness of Christ every day, look a little bit more like Jesus. And one day she's going to be like Christ, glorified in that state. I stand back in awe and wonder at the work that Christ has begun and the work that he is going to finish. Stand in awe of the work that Christ is doing in the life of your wife. It's amazing. Give God the glory for it and treat her honorably in that capacity. Because if you don't, your relationship with your wife, if you were to mistreat her, if you are to abuse her, ultimately affects your prayer life. The text finishes and says this, and being heirs together in grace, why? That your prayers may not be hindered. What does that mean that our prayers can be hindered? Well, jump with me. Chapter 3, verse 12. We'll jump ahead. It says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Husbands, have you ever tried to pray to God while still in an argument with your wife in the heat of the moment? It's hard. It, It disrupts that relationship with the Lord. Uh, as a husband, there are times when my wife and I don't, uh, wife and I may disagree. And there are times when we're in a conversation and we're ha- having a conversation. We say, you know, we're not solving anything. Let's just go before the throne and let's just pray and allow God to work it out. And those are times when you just need to do that. Because if you're not right with your wife and you're not treating her like she should be treated as a weaker vessel, treating her gently and kindly and tenderly, but dealing with her harshly, You're not dwelling with her according to God's design as a leader, as a lover, as a learner. Ultimately, that hinders your prayer life. And I know as a minister of the gospel, and we're all ministers, right? If my prayer life is hindered, so is my ministry as well. And so my first ministry, of course, is to my wife and to my family. Because if I'm not ministering to my wife and my family, shepherding my wife's heart, shepherding my children's heart, how am I even to minister the gospel of Christ as I have been called and how all of us have been called? You don't have to be a minister and stand behind a pulpit and preach the word of God. You are a minister. I don't know about you, but we need more husbands who are godly men who will rise up to the occasion and serve the purposes of God, who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Can I give you practical ways to honor your wife? The first one is honor her in your heart and in your mind. Honor her in your heart and in your mind, how you think about her, how you set your affections towards her. Uh, One person once said, marriage without emotion is drudgery. But marriage without commitment is a mockery. Honor her in your mind and in your heart. Secondly, honor her in your schedule. Guard your time. Set aside time that's specific to her in the day, in the week, in the month, in the year. Thirdly, honor her verbally. 
both privately and public, publicly. Proverbs 31, 28, 29 says this. Her children rise up and called her, call her blessed. Her husbands also. And he praises her. And he says this. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. When was the last time you honored your wife verbally, either privately or publicly? Fourthly, honor her in your prayer life. The top person on your prayer list should be your wife. I said that last week to the, or a couple weeks ago, to the wives, the top prayer request on your prayer list should be your husband. That's your top primary relationship. Honor her in your prayer life. And then lastly, honor her by being a kingdom-minded man. This morning, I just want to close it up with this. If you're a husband here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the invitation is to get to know him. The Bible says we are born into this world sinners. We're broken. We're separated because of our sin. And, and, and that sin expresses itself in all kinds of ugly ways in our attitudes, our actions, and our affections. But that's the good news of the gospel. That's why Jesus came. He left heaven for earth, was born in a manger so that he could die on a cross to bridge the gap and to become your substitute and mine. If you want to be a kingdom-minded man, if you want to love your wife as God has called you to love him, you got to first trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You don't clean up your life and then come to him. You come to him and he's the one who cleans you up. He's the one who sanctifies you. He's the one who will also glorify you. As well, trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord. Uh, secondly, as a believer, as I've said throughout this message, confess ways you've fallen short. Confess it to the Lord and confess it to your wife. And then thirdly, commit yourself to living out and modeling what it means to be a godly man. Uh, can I sum it up with this? Tony Evans once said this, when a kingdom man steps outside his door each day, heaven and earth and hell take notice. When he protects the woman under his care, she can do little to resist him. His children look to him with confidence. Other men look to him as someone to emulate. His church calls on him for strength and leadership. He is a preserver of culture and a champion of society to keep out evil and to usher in good. A kingdom man understands that God never said godly life would be easy. He just said that it would be worth it. Men, we meet, we, may we be the godly men God has called us to be. It may not be easy, but in the end, it will certainly be worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the reminder that we receive from it in regards to your design for marriage and your design in regards to the role and responsibility of husbands and fathers. Father, I pray this morning for every husband in the room that we would, by the power of your spirit and through the instruction of your word, be the kind of husbands you call us to be. Allow us to, right now, align ourselves under the authority of Christ and lead our wives, love our wives, and be a lifelong learner of our wives. Father, this morning, we confess that we have fallen short. We haven't done all that we have been called to do, and we, and we have not been the, the kind of man you've called us to be, but we thank you for your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us to live as you've called us to. Father, if there's someone here this morning, man or woman, 
who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, in this moment, as you move their heart, may they genuinely say this prayer. Father, I recognize I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. My sin separates me from you. You are holy. But I believe that Jesus came in order to die on the cross for my sins. I make Jesus my Savior. I make him my Lord. Uh, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, thank you for these things. And we pray your blessing over them. Bless the husbands. Bless our marriages. And bless our church. And help us to be the kind of people you call us to be. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.